You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Fenizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. This is the beginnings of our ministry back in the late 60s and early 70s. You know, bikers and thieves and drug addicts. And God chooses the most unlikely candidates to do His will. So that when you, when you point to those individuals, they won't receive any of the praise or the glory. Because they'll, say they, they'll, they'll see God behind them. There's no way that you can explain the success of their ministries pointed to those individuals knowing who that they are. God works in ways that often defy human logic. It wouldn't be beyond him at all to take a drug addict off the street and transform them into the next Billy Graham. He seems to prefer to work that way, in fact. As Pastor Mike will point out in today's message, God will use anyone who's willing, and he especially likes to use those who are humble enough to know that he alone deserves the glory. This is why he so often uses the people we tend to look down on in our society. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of Ephesians chapter 1 as he continues his message, Christ's Gifts to His Church. If he found any who were of the way, and by the way, that was before the term Christian was actually coined. That's the way they referred to the early Christians. They referred to them as, you know, those guys of the way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Uh, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And so Paul, well, Saul, before his name was changed to Paul, became the leader of the anti-Christian movement in Jerusalem. And Saul was arrested by Jesus Christ and was converted. And so Saul of Tarsus became Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles. And so notice, there in verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, he became what God had meant him to become. And I got to tell you something, I just, I just love the way that God does things. And I love the way that God chooses people to do his work. And it's always the most unlikely of candidates, isn't it, that God chooses. I, I think to confound the wise is one of the reasons why he does that. So that that man, you know, you know you, you, it's, it's interesting the way that we size up people for the ministry. And there's been times, i got to tell you something, where, I, where I've been guilty of this very thing. You know, where we're looking for a certain need in the body and 
someone to lead a men's group or whatever. So uh, we look around the room and we look at, you know, we're looking for someone who is, uh, you know, maybe, uh, you know, a, a, a strong looking guy, maybe a six footer, looks like a middle linebacker, like he can play for the New York Giants or whatever. And, uh, you know, someone whom we think other men will look up to. And so we size them up. But you know what the Bible tells us? Remember when uh, the Bible tells us that God had repented of ever placing Saul as the king over Israel, and he was going to look for another. And remember Jesse's sons. David was amongst them. But he was the, the smallest, the weakest. He was the smallest in the litter, if you will, you know, kind of a thing. And uh, remember God speaking through the prophet uh, Samuel, uh, God looks upon the heart. He doesn't look on the outward appearance when he chooses people for a particular task or uh, a ministry, uh, to fulfill a, uh, a ministry. And so I've always found it quite curious and interesting the way that God goes about choosing people. And it's usually the most unlikely of candidates. If you can ever get your hand on I have a copy in my library. It's called Harvest. And it has to do with the men that God used to launch the Jesus movement in the late 60s, early 70s, which became Calvary Chapel, and Pastor Chuck Smith was the leader of back in in Southern California. And you look at all of those guys, guys like Greg Laurie and uh, Mike McIntosh, who was totally out of his mind. Uh, Mike is a really interesting character. Mike, on, on one occasion, uh, was on LSD, and someone actually took a gun and shot it uh, near his head. And he had this uh, hallucination where he thought that his head was actually blown off of his body. And for a season, he, was actually th- he, was wa- he thought he was walking around without a head. These are the kinds of characters that God uses, right? This is the beginnings of our ministry back in the late 60s and early 70s. You know, bikers and thieves and drug addicts. And God chooses the most unlikely candidates to do his will. So that when you, when you point to those individuals, they won't receive any of the praise or the glory. Because they'll, say, they, they'll, they'll see God behind them. There's no way that you can explain the success of their ministries pointed to those individuals knowing who that they are, you see. It's the God behind them that enable them to do the work of the ministry so that he gets all of the credit, so that he gets all of the glory. And I stand before you as, an, as a living example of that, of that example uh, this morning as well. So let me ask you this question. And, and I think that uh, it's a question that all of us need to consider. And uh, God has a plan for you. And as I mentioned before, that plan is different from one person to the next. God has called me to a teaching ministry. Uh, God has make, may have called you to uh, be a deacon here in the body or an assistant pastor or working in the kids' ministry or a parent raising their child in their home, a, a Christian businessman, a Christian businesswoman. Uh, whatever your calling may be, God still in that occupation has a plan. He has a plan. He has a plan for each and every one of us. So here's the question. Are we cooperating with his divine program, and are we responsive to his promptings? Are we responsive to his promptings? And you know what? You'll never experience what God wants you to experience until you do exactly that. 
God has so much more for us. And you know what? It can take the, as you've heard me say so many times before, it can take the mundane things of our lives, the colorless things of our lives, and color them and make them so much more meaningful, like going to work Monday through Friday and putting in 8 to 10 to 12 hours. You know, you're thinking, what am I doing this for? Well, you know, when you know that you're doing it for Christ, that God has provided that opportunity for you to be an influence, to be your, his witness there at your place of employment, it makes all of the difference in the world. It takes something that's so mundane and makes it so much more meaningful. So think about that. Let me ask you the question once again. Are we cooperating with his divine program? Are we responsive to his promptings? So anyway, getting back to the point, I just love the way that God does things, choosing the most unlikely of candidates. Well, anyway, getting back to Paul now and his conversion experience, about the year 53 AD, Paul first ministered in the city of Ephesus during one of his missionary campaigns, but did not stay there. Two years later, he returned and spent about two years seeing to it that the whole area was evangelized. You can read about that in the book of Acts in chapter 19. And there we are told in Acts chapter 19 that Paul uh, sounded out the gospel throughout all of Asia. That was sort of like Paul's headquarters there in the city of Ephesus. And during these years, he founded a strong church in that city, which if you think about it, was, it was crazy and remarkable that because this, remember, the whole, the whole, basically the whole city, all of the inhabitants within that city were worshipers of Diana. The whole city was dedicated to the worship of the goddess Diana. And think of all of the, you know, the, uh, the practices that were a part of, of, of worshiping Diana, the interaction with the, the priestess and prostitution and, and all of that. In fact, the, the figure of Diana that I mentioned before, when I shared some background that they thought came actually down from heaven, that they placed within the actual temple. It was a, it was a, uh, a statue of a woman, and on the woman, there were breasts all over her body. And so it had everything to do with fertility and sexual immorality and, and intercourse, and, you know, just, we can, we can only, well, we can't even imagine, you know, what was involved in, and as the... Uh, the worshipers were engaged in uh, their practices there in honoring Diana. And now, some ten years later, as a prisoner in Rome, Paul writes this letter as a concerned father. So therefore, this is also one of those letters that are known as the prison letters of Paul. Paul is incarcerated. Paul is uh, writing this particular a letter epistle from Rome where he's being held as a captive. He's been given the political uh, runaround. In chapter 6 and verse 20, and we'll get to this in a couple of months, but he refers to himself there as an ambassador for Christ in bonds and in chains. So interesting. Anyway, so God has a plan. He wants to accomplish his purposes through, in, and through your life. Now, the next thing that I want to draw your attention to, and this is something that I think that, you know, if you haven't discovered what that plan is, I would encourage you to take some time out during the week and just pray. 
God, you know, I mean, we are living in the last days. And there's no shortage of opportunities to be used of God. The Bible tells us that his eyes are going to and fro across the entire earth, uh, looking for those individuals through which he can show himself strong on their behalf. God has a work for all of us to do. And we sit in those chairs and we, you know, we come every Thursday night and then also on Sundays. You know, is that, your, is that the only part of your Christian experience? Man, there's so much more to our walking with the Lord and serving him. They go hand in hand. You know, God fills you as a cup to overflowing. And as your cup overflows, everyone around you bathes in that overflow, as I so often remind you. God is a work that he wants to do through each and every one of us. And we need to get busy, you know, doing exactly that. And it's so exciting to be used of the Lord. And uh, so, you know, so, but some of us, it seems as if, uh, uh, if, the, if the shoe fits, wear it. And I'm not suggesting, I'm not thinking of anyone in particular. And I'm not trying to bum you out. Uh, and I'm not trying to be condemning because there's no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. But I would encourage you, sometime during the week, get alone with God. And if you're not already involved, and I'm not, I'm not just talking about like working with the kids' ministry or you know, serving as a, uh, as a deacon or, or uh, as a usher or, or you know, those kinds of things. God has a plan. God has a work. And he, he wants to accomplish that work. I have no, absolutely no idea why he's chosen human instruments who are so frail, right, and uh, inept to do that work. But nevertheless, he gives us the opportunity, the privilege, and the honor to do that. And I think that we need to take advantage of, seize every opportunity that God makes available to us. Because you know what? One day you're going to stand before the Lord, as is depicted for us in the book of Revelation in chapter 4, when we're raptured, and we stand before Jesus and we look into that face of our Lord's. And the Bible tells us in that day we'll see him as a lamb who has been slain, which suggests that he will still be carrying in his body the marks of his crucifixion, his beatings his body being torn asunder. And when we realize you know, how, how, how uh, the tremendous sacrifice that he made so that we could arrive at that final destination, I hope that none of, none of us have any regrets you know, of thinking, you know, flashing back on, oh man, I had you know, so many opportunities to serve the Lord that I've never taken advantage of. It was all about me, me, me. And, and uh, oh yeah, I was there for those midweek services. And I was there for, you know, Sunday mornings, and you were fed, and you were fed, and you were fed, and you got fat, and you got fat as a Christian. You know, you're kind of like Jabba the Hud, right? You know, and, uh, but you never gave back. And you never responded, you know, to those opportunities that you had, those open doors that God opened for you. You never walked through them. And I hope that there's no regrets in that day when you look into the face of Jesus, and you, you're going to be saved. Yeah, and you're going to spend all of eternity with the Lord. But you know what? There are greater rewards in heaven in that, in that day, the Bible tells us. I want to make sure that my crown is filled with jewels, right? And uh, God has given me some greater responsibilities you know, in that day, particularly when we come back from the millennial reign of Christ. I hope that there are no regrets. So get alone with the Lord and ask him to show you how you might make yourself available to be used by him. It'll just radically, dramatically change your lives. Particularly for those Christians who are always like, 
you know, complaining and murmuring and nothing's good that's happening in my life and life is boring and, you know, I wish I had this and I wish I had that and you're always looking over on the other side of the, the fence of your next door neighbor Christian's yard and the grass is greener over there and you're always complaining, hey man, get with God's program. That's where it's at. Don't look at your brothers and sisters in Christ, you know, unless they're providing a great example for you and how to serve the Lord, right? You know, get, get with God's program. It'll be a blessing. You can be sure of that. Okay, well, enough on that. Now, the latter part of verse 1. Notice, Paul is writing this letter to the saints at Ephesus. So that brings us to our third point, and that is the saints of God. Now, are you surprised by this? I mean, we usually associate that title... It's a special title, right? A saint uh, with, a speci- uh, with a very special and specific class of people. Describing a person who is recognized for a special holiness of life. Specifically recognized by a religious body. Uh, and also there are supernatural miracles that are also associated with that individual. And some of you may be familiar with the process of what is called canonization after death. And it's an interesting procedure, folks. Let me tell you something. But guess what? It's not biblical at all. Well, interestingly enough, nine times in this one brief epistle, Paul addresses his readers as saints. And listen, these saints were alive. And they're not dead. Although once they had been spiritually dead in their trespasses and sin. Chapter 2 and verse 1 tells us exactly that. And it is clear that at least most of them had never performed miracles. But nevertheless, they had experienced the greatest of all miracles. And that is they were born again of the Spirit of God. By trusting Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Now, let's consider the word saint. Where does that word even come from? Well, the word saint, that's translated from the Greek manuscripts into our English word saint, is related to a, the word sanctified. And of course, you know the word sanctified simply means to be set apart. That's all that it means. So these people that Paul is writing to are individuals who have been set apart by God. So that's the idea. When the sinner trusts in Jesus as a Savior, he is taken out of the world, he is then regenerated, and then he is placed in Christ. That's his new position. And also the company of the church. So look around. The person sitting next to you and in front of you and in back, uh, back of you are saints. The believer is in the world physically, but not of the world spiritually. God has given to us a new nature. There are new loyalties. We have then a new agenda. Remember the prayer that Christ prayed for all of his disciples, and not only those that were present in his company when he prayed that prayer, but going, looking forward down the road to 2019, considering you and I, and he prayed this prayer. It's in, recorded first in John's Gospel, and it's going to be broadcast. I have given them, now he's praying to the Father. This is Jesus praying to the Father. I have given them your word, 
and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. And, we're, and remember what we're doing. All of this is being said under the heading of we're now saints in God, right? I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them. There's the word. Set them apart. Saints. That's where we get our English word uh, saint from. Sanctify. Set them uh, apart. How? By your truth. Your word is truth. So, that's literally what that word uh, saint uh, means. Okay. So, the believer is in the world physically, but not of the world spiritually. You know, one writer suggested, and this, this would, I, I think, accurately uh, describe for us the experience that we've had, born again, being born again, and entering into this new society of gods. One writer suggested that it's sort of like a scuba diver who exists in an alien environment, why or how? Because he possesses special equipment. What would be that special equipment? The scuba gear, right? His oxygen tanks and so on. In our case, our special equipment is the indwelling Holy Spirit of God. And it's through him, that is the Spirit, we can function and have victory in this world. But now, a very important question. How did these people that Paul is writing to at Ephesus become saints? And also, how have we become saints as well? Well, the answer is found in two words. And those words are recorded for us in, in both verses 1 and 2. And write these down, faithful and grace. Write those two words down if you're taking notes. Faithful and grace. You see, when Paul addresses his letter to the saints and the faithful in Christ Jesus, he's not addressing two different groups of people. They're one and the same. Let me break this down for you. The word faithful carries along with it the meaning of believers in Christ Jesus who are exercising their faith. He's not talking about you being faithful in obeying implicitly God's word, although that's the goal. I mean, God certainly does want us to obey his commandments implicitly, but that's not the way that an individual becomes a saint of God. It's simply by exercising our faith in Jesus Christ. So therefore, these people were not saved by living faithful lives. I mean, come on, right? The truth be told, it's not on the basis of our performance whereby we've been saved. Thank God. Right? The Bible tells us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be. Oh, my As we study the book of Ephesians together, we pray it has encouraged you to restore relationships. Unity can be such a hard task to accomplish, but as the Apostle Paul wrote, unity binds us together in Jesus. 
If there's someone in your life that you need to reach out to today, know we are praying both for you and for them. You've been listening to In My Father's House, and we're so glad you tuned in to hear today's teaching with Pastor Mike. To listen to today's message again, or to hear more from Pastor Mike, just search for In My Father's House on your favorite podcast platform, and be sure to subscribe. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram to keep up to date on our day-to-day happenings. If you're looking for a place in Midtown Manhattan to come together with others and worship Jesus, we'd love to have you join us this Sunday for worship at Harvest Christian Fellowship. You'll be able to reserve your seat and get directions to our easy access point at harvestnyc.org. We're also streaming each Sunday and Thursday evening so everyone has the chance to attend, even if you can't make it in person. If this broadcast has been an encouragement to you, would you consider supporting us? We'd love your prayerful support. And if you feel led, we're also thankful for any financial support. In fact, you can donate securely on our website, harvestnyc.org. Again, that was harvestnyc.org. Thanks for your support, and thanks for listening in today. Join us again next time for more, right here on In My Father's House. Where I long to be, oh my heart, not be troubled.